You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. Guys, time is running out. Still have a few days, so no need to panic, but now is the time to get in on the action with MyBookie. All you have to do is create a new account at MyBookie.ag and use the promo code UGA, and for the next couple days through the month of September, they will double your very first deposit. So right now, guys, again, pause this podcast right now, come right back to it, but this will take you about 30 seconds to create your account on MyBookie, use that promo code, get your free cash to bet on, and go ahead and take advantage of this opportunity because you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and you know, last week we took a little bit of a break from these preview episodes due to our group of five opponent. We did a little bit of a Kent State preview, about 10 minutes, but it certainly was not the type of depth that we normally reserve for these episodes. But we are back this week with our regularly scheduled program with the deepest of deep dives into Georgia's Week 5 matchup in Como against the Missouri Tigers. You long-time listeners, you know the drill already. I don't need to tell you. But we do have some newer listeners. We seem to get new listeners each and every week. So for you guys, first off, welcome. And for our preview episodes, just kind of fill you guys in here. You'll figure this out real quick. What I do is I use a countdown format. So I'm going to count down 5 to 1, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And along the way, I'm going to give you different aspects, different looks into this game. So for 5, we'll start with 5 players to know. Then we'll go to four stats that matter. This week, normally we do three matchups to watch, but this week I'm going to call it a little bit of an audible because honestly, almost all, if not all the matchups, except maybe the slot matchup with our star defender against their top right receiver, Dominic Lovett, as we'll get to in a minute here, they pretty much all favor us. So I'm not going to go with matchups to watch. I'm going to go with three questions this week, and then we'll get back on it with two game plans and one key to the game. So that's how this thing will shake out. But you know what, guys? Let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and dive right in because we've got a lot to talk about. And let's kick it off with our five players to know. Each and every week on these episodes, almost invariably, the first player on my list of five players to know for our weekly opponent 
it's going to start with the quarterback, and this week is no different. Now, that does not mean that the quarterback is the best player on the team. Sometimes that's the case, but of course, not all the time. And this is one of those instances where Brady Cook, the quarterback for Missouri, is certainly not the best player on the team. He's not the best player on their offense, but the quarterback position is the most important position on the field. So more often than not, there are some exceptions, but more often than not, we are going to start with that position. And Brady Cook is the signal caller for the Missouri Tigers. This is a kid that grew up in the Como area, in the Columbia, Missouri area. He grew up a Missouri fan. His entire life, he grew up wanting to play for the Missouri Tigers. And does that really matter once we step on the field between the white lines? Not really, but it does give you some insight into what this guy's about. He cares about this program. He cares about this team. He's fought and clawed to win this job. He's a tough kid, and he's going to put it on the line for Missouri each and every week. Now, does that mean he's incredibly talented? No, it does not. He's a solid player, but he is not the most gifted player at the quarterback position that we're going to face this year, but he has been, as I said, solid for them to this point in the year. He is a mobile quarterback. He's a guy they absolutely will use in the run game. Eli Drinkwitz, who I think is a great offensive mind, has always liked to use a quarterback in the run game. Even when he doesn't really have truly mobile quarterbacks, he wants to get them involved, and he absolutely uses Brady Cook in the design quarterback run game. And of course, he'll scramble and make plays with his legs kind of creatively as well. But if you look at his numbers throughout the year to this point, through the first four games, Cook is averaging 201 yards a game, 63% completion percentage, 7.4 yards per attempt, four touchdowns to four interceptions. So it's not really the split you want to see touchdown to INT ratio there. But again, those are like fine. Those are solid numbers. Not anything that's going to jump out at you. Not horrific. Not terrible. They're fine. They're serviceable numbers. But if you take a closer look at those numbers and you peel back the layers and dive just a little bit deeper and you look at the two games that he has played against Power 5 opponents, he's played Kansas State on the road in a loss and played Auburn last week on the road in a loss. Again, they absolutely should have won. Like They gifted that game to Auburn. They blew it a couple different times, a couple different ways late in that game. They were better than Auburn. They should have beaten Auburn. They didn't, so whatever. But those are the two Power 5 games that he has played at this point. And in those games, as you might imagine, obviously, I mean, it's higher level of competition. He's not going to perform at as high of a level as he is against teams like Abilene Christian from the FCS level. But against those two power five opponents, he is averaging 56% completion percentage, 153 yards per game, only six yards per attempt. And he still, through two games against power five opponents, has not thrown a touchdown, zero touchdowns to three interceptions. So clearly against the better competition, I I don't think it's a stretch to say that Brady Cook has been a liability in those games. He has not been good enough to beat those Power 5 opponents. Now, small sample size at this point in the year, all we have is a small sample size to operate off of, but that's what we have to work with right now. So that's what you see at this point. Now, again, he is a mobile quarterback, and that's probably the biggest asset he brings to that position, and he's fearless. Uh, he's, He's a really tough kid. He's Got 158 yards rushing right now. Some of that's design QB stuff. Some of that's just him being creative and and getting outside the pocket and making things happen with his legs. But this is a guy that you certainly have to account for in the run game, whether it's zone reads, whether it's quarterback power stuff, whether it's him scrambling on third down. You've got to have a way to account for him on each and every snap when it comes to using his legs. So Brady Cook is the first player on this Missouri Tigers team to know about, but the second player, and this is the most talented player on their offense, probably the best player on their entire team right now. Maybe a guy we'll get to next here, Tyron Hopper, a linebacker, you can make an argument for him, but Dominic Lovett has exploded onto the scene last year. This guy had a little bit over 100 yards receiving total last year as a true freshman. In his sophomore season, 
He's basically come out of nowhere, and this guy is making play after play for the Missouri Tigers. In fact, he has been the engine to this Missouri offense, if there has been an engine. It's kind of been stuck in and neutral for most of this season. But Dominic Lovett has 21 catches on the year, 376 yards, 17.9 yards per attempt. So clearly, he is their big explosive playmaker on offense and two touchdowns as well. And give you a little bit more perspective on how much he has meant to this offense and why I call him the engine to this offense. So his 376 yards, his 21 receptions, let's take a look at that. 21 receptions means he has doubled up the next closest receiver. Basically, almost doubled up. I think the next closest receiver has 11 receptions. So essentially, he has doubled up the next closest receiver in receptions. And he has more than tripled up the next closest receiver in receiving yards. There's actually only one other pass catcher on the entire team that's currently in triple digits in receiving, which means he's got more than 99 yards receiving. Only one other player. By comparison, we have four. We almost have five guys. I think Kiers Jackson has like 97 yards receiving. So we almost have five players that are in triple digits receiving. We kind of spread the ball around, as you guys have seen throughout this year to this point. That's not really the case with Missouri. It has been the Dominic Lovett show in in the past game and really in the offense in general. So this is the guy. This is the playmaker. We have got, I mentioned we had to account for Brady Cook's legs. Of course, we do, but Dominic Lovett is the guy that has to be at the top of our defensive game plan, and he is the guy that we're going to have to be aware of where he lines up and where he is, what his alignment is on every single snap, because he is the one that has hurt teams this year. When Missouri's had successful plays offensively, more often than not, it has been with Dominic Lovett. He's not a big guy. He's only like 5'10", about 185, 190 pounds, but he's kind of that new age receiver. You don't have to be big anymore. It's all about quickness, short area quickness, being able to change directions, cutting ability, all those things, all the skills it takes to run clean routes. That's what it's about. Also explosive with speed. And he has all of those tools and he finds a way to consistently get open. So you got to know where this guy is and account for him every single snap. And then for our next player, let's move over to the defense side of the ball for a couple of guys. The first guy on defense I want to mention is Tyron Hopper, 6'2", 221-pound linebacker, who is in his first year with the Missouri Tigers. He actually transferred from Florida. So some of you might be familiar-ish with that name. He really was not a major contributor at Florida. I think he only had 38 solo tackles combined in three years at Florida. He has 23 already this season. He is a starter for them, and I think he is the difference maker on this defense. At least I, I've watched every game they play. I even watched a little bit of the Abilene Christian game, and he's he's the guy. He's the guy on defense. He moves really well. He's athletic. He actually tackles well, and he's currently leading the team in tackles, leading the team in tackles for loss, second in sacks, and tied for first in interceptions. He will almost certainly be the guy assigned to mirror or spy Stetson Bennett in the pass game because Stetson will get creative. We like to move Stetson outside the pocket, and they'll do some green dog stuff with him, and, and then they'll, they'll do some mirror stuff where one Stetson, at least I imagine they'll do this. Then they did this a little bit with him, actually a good bit with him against Robbie Ashford, you know, Auburn's dual threat quarterback right now uh, last week on the Plains and he did that with what I thought very good success so I imagine they'll do something like that with Stetson obviously Stetson's not as much of a, of a running threat as a guy like Robbie Ashford is he's not that kind of athlete but Stetson's a very good athlete we've seen him hurt teams with his legs we like to roll him out in the pocket and and get him on the move and he's become a very good passer on the move but I imagine they'll use him to kind of mirror Stetson and do some green dog stuff with him where if Stetson clears the pocket, as soon as he escapes the pocket, he will trigger automatically and start rushing the passer. He's going to be that guy and he's got the athleticism to do that. But he has been very impressive to this point in the year. In fact, I, I kind of question why he didn't play more at Florida 
because, I mean, Florida, they've been fine at inside linebacker. I don't think Florida has been special inside linebacker for the past couple of years. And I, I thought this guy, at least based on what I've seen to this point, he is a guy that is making plays left and right for them. He's making plays in the run game, running silent sideline. He's, he's actually not been a liability in coverage. He's really been a dynamic player for this Missouri defense, which is a guy they needed to replace Blaze Aldridge last year, who, who made some of those big wow plays, but was inconsistent. Hopper has continue the the wow plays but has also brought a level of consistency that blaze aldridge could not really operate at last year so he's a really good football player and he's a guy that you know talking about offensive game plans that we are gonna have to account for offensively on every single snap as well sticking on the defensive side of the ball let's go to the defensive backfield and let's talk about a guy named chris abrams drain probably I, i think he's the best cover guy on this team and he's you know if you look at the draft prospects of this missouri tigers football team at least what you look at right now, he's probably their best draft prospect for this year among draft eligible players. I do not think he's a first round guy. He's probably a mid round guy at best. You guys know I'm not an NFL expert, but just you know, watching him from the college level and, and kind of just reading some of the, the the draft profiles on him from guys who do the NFL draft stuff for a living, it seems like he's going to be like a mid round type guy. But he's not the biggest guy. He's 5'11", 185 pounds. Got some solid length, but not the lengthiest guy out there. But he has really good athleticism. He played primarily inside at star last year. He's moved more outside this year. When you watch him play, he does have good athleticism. He stays in phase most of the time. One thing I kind of picked up watching him though is that he does seem to play a little flat-footed and he also really likes to jump the quick passing game. I think that's partly a function of him playing a lot inside at star the past couple years because you see a lot of the quick passing game from that position. But right now outside, he still likes to jump the quick passing game. So if you think about that, he he seems to play flat-footed in my opinion, likes to jump the quick passing game. What that tells me is that he can be taken advantage of with double moves. And I imagine, you know, if A.D. Mitchell can get back healthy for this game, which I don't think he will, we'll try to use some with him there. But Ladd is an outstanding route runner. He has hit a couple of teams with double moves. I imagine we're going to give a, give Ladd a couple of chances to get deep and get behind him on some of those double moves. So good player, really good player, but I think he's a guy that we can potentially take advantage of with those double moves. And then the last player to know on this Missouri Tiger football team, at least the guys I'm highlighting here, is a, a kicker. We're going off the rails here a little bit, guys. I very rarely talk about special teams players when it comes to our five players, you know. But with Missouri, I think I've got to, especially after what happened last week. Now, Harrison Mevis, the thickest kicker that you will probably ever see, has been fantastic his entire career. This guy is 45 of 51, or at least he was 45 of 51 coming last week. That's 88%, guys. That is elite. In fact, he was 10 of 10 on kicks of 20 to 29 yards in his career, again, coming into last week. But if you watched that Missouri-Auburn game last week, you know what I'm about to say. He was 45 of 51. He was 10 for 10 on kicks of 20 to 29 yards. He blew, I think it was a 26-yard field goal right as time was expiring to win the game. They were it was, The game was tied 14-14. They would have won 17-14. Missouri had a last-second drive to drive the length of the field, and they literally they got inside the 10-yard line, and the last, you know, they had about 
a minute or so left, and they were just basically trying to set the ball up from the middle of the field just for an easy kick. Your All-American, incredible kicker. Honestly, like in terms of what he does at his position, one of the best players on the team. And it was a, it was a done deal. Like I thought that they had it right. Charlie, that was Charlie's upset pick of the week. That was her upset special last week for Missouri to go into Auburn and win outright. In fact. I believed so much in Charlie's pick. I put some money on it myself, and I was feeling good about myself. And then he lines up, and he pushes it. He pushed it right. And I'm sitting here like in absolute disbelief because I know how good this guy is and how good he's been. In some way, somehow, he missed that kick, which is very uncharacteristic of him. He did not miss at all last year until November. The actually, The first kick he missed was actually... I think it was a 40, 40 or so yarder against us last year in early November. But again, he's a big old thick boy out there. You would look like if you look at him on the sideline, you would not realize that he's the kicker, but he is a big dude. So my question with me is like, he's fantastic. I, I've always kind of considered him an, an automatic guy. Like he lines up to kick the field goal. He's automatic. Essentially, he has been his entire career. But my question for him is, how does he respond after a game like that? where you had a road win in the SEC, which let's be real guys, those have been few and far between for Missouri. Those opportunities do not come very often for them. And you had one gift wrap for you. Your offense did what it had to do to get you, I mean, again, 26-yard field goal, I think is exactly what it was. It was certainly a 20-something. I think it was 26-yard field goal. And then he some way, somehow, in the most critical moment, does something he doesn't do, and he pushes it right. So how does he respond? Because you know what kickers or special teams guys, that can get in your head, it can mess with you. So I don't know. What is this guy made of? We'll find out. Only time will tell. But just bears watching here with this Missouri team. Because if he is in the right headspace, he's an absolute weapon for them on offense. Like he might be, outside of Dominic Lovett, their second best weapon on offense. But is he going to be that guy after what happened last week? You have to have a short memory, but... He's not been in this situation. So how does he respond to that? That certainly bears watching this Saturday. Now, I'm going to give you a bonus player here. Conspicuously absent from this list is a guy a lot of you, especially those of you who follow recruiting very closely like I do, are very familiar with. You know this name, Luther Burden. I bet a lot of you, when you turn this on and I said, all right, guys, here are the five players know, you were expecting me to rattle off Luther Burden somewhere on that list. But I went through five guys and Luther Burden was not on that list. For those of you who are new and maybe don't follow recruiting as closely, Luther Burden's a true freshman. He was a former five-star guy uh, from the, the, not Como area, but he's a local guy, I think East St. Louis, um, and he's a really talented wide receiver. And I bring him up, and the reason that a lot of Georgia fans pay attention to him is because it came down to Georgia and Missouri. A lot of us, and myself included, thought that we had him locked up. But if you have been following recruiting, you also know we've had a lot of trouble recently recruiting and landing. We recruit these guys, but landing top shelf, top flight wide receiver prospects. And Luther Burden was just one of those, one of the latest guys in the list of names that we've had trouble actually, like we recruit them and we get in their final group and we don't actually land them. And Luther Burden is one of the most recent examples. He is a guy that it's similar in like physical profile to Dominic Lovett. And there's a lot of people around the country who expect him to be one of the breakout players nationally this year, certainly in the SEC, and might instantly be one of those guys that becomes Missouri's most dangerous weapon on offense. But through four games, that has certainly not been the case to this point. He, in fact, only has 10 catches for 78 yards on the year. One touchdown, but 7.8 yards per attempt. He has essentially been a non-factor offensively. He does have a, ret- a kick return for a touchdown. 
So he has been a little bit of a factor in the special teams game, but as a receiver, he has not been the factor that people expect him to be. He has not had the impact that other people expect him to have. And I think he expected to have, if you pay attention to some of these things, like I know a lot of you do, you might've seen that he uh, mysteriously scrubbed all of his social media accounts of all Missouri stuff within the past couple of days. Now you see this I don't want to say commonly, but you're seeing it more and more this year when like when are these the past couple of years when guys get angry and that maybe it's a sign they're gonna transfer out because they're they're unhappy with their role and, and they're trying to like make a point, right? It, it's like the classic teenage pout. I mean, that's what it is. Like it's the new age pouting, and that, that's what these guys are doing. Now, normally I don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff. Like you 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 see it and you're like, okay, it registers, but like does it mean anything? Sometimes it does, sometimes it does. I think honestly, I think Darnell Washington did that at the conclusion of last year after the national title game when I when I know that he was strongly considering transferring. So some of these guys, sometimes they come back. It doesn't necessarily mean you're gone. But in his press conference yesterday, head coach Eli Drinkwitz all of a sudden says, oh yeah, well, Luther Burden, um, yeah, he's questionable for this game. And he, he said it was an injury. And maybe it is. Maybe it is. He said he got banged up. And, and that certainly could be the case. Maybe you want to take him at his word. But it just seems like almost too coincidental that he like, scrubs his social media accounts and Missouri stuff and all of a sudden now he's questionable for this game like is there something more going on behind the scenes I don't know I really don't know it's pure speculation but I'm not even sure he's going to play in this game he's questionable whatever that means you know in the college ranks there is no real injury report no one's held any sort of standard the coaches just play mind games Kirby does it as much as anybody so you never really know but I do think there's some question as to whether or not he's going to be playing this game. But even if he does, again, he has essentially been a non-factor offensively. He is a talented guy. And I'm not saying that like his lack of production isn't really related to his talent. I mean, a big part of it is Dominic Lovett has exploded on the scene. He's been fantastic. People didn't expect that. And Burton's still young. He's still learning some of these things. But he was not on my list of top five guys. And I wanted to at least address it because I know some of you are probably expecting me to talk about him. But the reason he wasn't on there is because he just really hasn't been that impactful to this point. And okay, guys, we've got a lot more to talk about on today's episode, but right now I do want to take one quick opportunity to talk to you guys about our friends at MyBookie once again. I keep telling you guys, and I I know you hear it, and you're like, oh, I I got the rest of the month. Don't worry about it. But guys, time is running out on our promo code, the exclusive deal that MyBookie is offering for you guys, for listeners of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm recording this on Tuesday night, the 27th, so you got like three, three and a half days, depending on when you listen to this, to take advantage of this awesome promotion. Again, all you have to do is go to MyBookie.ag, Sign up for a new account, use the promo code UGA, and they are going to double whatever your first deposit is. If it's 10 bucks, you get 20 bucks to play with. If it's 100 bucks, you get 200 bucks. If it's 500 bucks that you start with, you get 1,000 bucks to play with, guys. They are giving you free money to bet with. And I will admit, Charlie and I did not have our best week. It was not a vintage week for us last week, but our first three weeks, we were hitting about 67% of our picks, and last week was the anomaly. We're going to be right back on it this week. We are giving you winners, guys, each and every week. We are trying to help you put some money in your pocket, but for that to work, you guys have to have an account at MyBookie, right? So jump on it right now. Again, if you haven't done it, pause this podcast right now. You can come right back to it. It'll take you 30 seconds a minute. It won't take you any time at all, and you'll be set up for the rest of the season to put some money in your pocket to put your football knowledge to use and also use what Charlie and I give you at the end of each and every week. So make sure you take advantage of that now. Again, it's promo code UGA at mybookie.ag because you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, we are back at it here. Let's move on to the next part of our countdown, and that would be four stats that matter. Now, our first two stats, I'm going to kind of package them together here because I kind of think they go hand-in-hand-ish, and I'll explain that as we go through it. But the first stat I have for you guys, it's a pretty simple stat here. Missouri, through four games, is dead last in the SEC of in plays of 30 or more yards. They only have five plays of 30 or more yards on the season. They have not been one of the least explosive offenses in the league. They have been the least explosive offense in the league, which brings me to my second stat that matters. Here's why I'm packaging them together. So they have not been explosive. That's our first stat that matters. Second part is that lack of explosiveness offensively is a big reason why the Missouri Tigers are only 11th in the SEC in scoring offense, only 71st nationally in points per play, and only averaging 13 points per game against Power 5 competition. They are clearly having a lot of trouble putting up points on a consistent basis, and it's not like they've played a murderer's row of football teams. Yes, Kansas State's a good football team. They play Kansas State on the road. Tough game. Auburn is not very good. They played Auburn. You played Abilene Christian. You played... Louisiana Tech as well. Neither one of those teams are worth anything, to be quite honest with you. And even with those two cupcake games on their schedule, they are only 11th in the SEC scoring offense against 71st national points per play and against the Power 5 competition, only averaging 13 points per game. They are having a hard time consistently putting up points. And a big part of that, this is why the first two stats go hand in hand, is because they are not generating explosive plays. They simply are not doing enough of that. So for them to score, they are having to execute their way down the field on long drives, just grind out long drives. And the reality is, they don't have elite personnel on offense. So they're having a tough time consistently putting together those kind of quality drives. Somewhere along the way, they might go four or five, six plays, get a first down here or there, but they're going to drop a pass or Cook's going to overthrow a guy or miss a guy or he's going to get sacked. He's going to make a poor decision. They just aren't able to consistently execute their way down the field and absent big plays, which would help you with that, obviously, because you don't have to run as many plays. They're just having a really hard time scoring points right now. And you imagine that's not really a good recipe for success against the Georgia defense. So yeah, I know Kent State had a little bit more success putting up points, but they still didn't really 
put up any more yards than anyone had against us. Our defense is still one of the best in the country. And then the third stat that matters here in this game is that Missouri likes to run the football, guys. They are 58% run in their run-pass splits. That's good enough for top 30 nationally in the run percentage. To give you a little bit of perspective here, this year, we actually are throwing the ball. We're still throwing the ball more than we're running, which is very uncharacteristic for Georgia football teams. We are 80th nationally ourselves in run percentage. We're running the ball 49% of the time. But Missouri likes to run the football, guys. And I've watched a couple of coaches clinics with Eli Drinkwitz, and I have a lot of respect for him as an offensive mind. And he is very open about the fact that they are a outside zone heavy football team. That is their run play. I'm not saying it's the only play that they run when they run the football, but they run that, I mean, seemingly like 75 plus percent of the time when they run the football. Their entire offense is built off that play action game. RPO game is built off outside zone run action. So I can absolutely tell you what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to establish the outside zone. Their top running back right now is a guy named Nathaniel Pete, who had a really good game. He had over 100 yards against Auburn, but then he also blew the game. You know, Harrison Meevis' kicker blew it in regulation, and then uh, they hold Auburn to a field goal in, in, with Auburn's first possession of overtime. They get the ball second, and... Pete is racing towards the end zone. Great run, great play. And he, at the last second, reaches out to extend the ball over the goal line to win the game. He has the ball in his non-dominant hand. He switches hands, and the ball slips out of his hand, rolls up the back of the end zone, touchback. They lose the game. But he had a really good game. It's the best game that he's had as Missouri Tiger. He's transferred over from Stanford last year. But uh, they're going to try to establish the run game with him, the outside zone run game with him, and then they're going to work the RPO game off of that. They're a heavy RPO team, especially off of that outside zone action, and they'll also work in some true play action vertical shots off that outside zone action as well. But that is what they're going to try to do offensively because that's what they try to do offensively essentially every single game. But the thing is, they haven't had a ton of success running the football this year. They really missed Tyler Beatty. That dude was fantastic for them last year. He was an outside zone phenom like he was just incredible running that play but right now they're only averaging 4.4 yards per rush which is 58th nationally they're fine they're okay but certainly not as effective and as efficient running the football in that outside zone play which is the engine of their offense as they have been throughout you know the past couple of years especially last year with Tyler Beatty and then finally the last stat that matters here is their turnover margin Missouri guys a lot like South Carolina has not had a lot of success forcing turnovers, and they have turned the ball over way too much themselves. They are 107th nationally right now in turnover margin. They've turned the ball over nine times in four games, so more than two turnovers a game, and they have only generated six themselves. So do the math there, guys. You know I'm not a math guy. I tell you that all the time, but even I can do that math. That brings them out to minus three in their turnover margin. Again, only 107th nationally. So let's, let's, let's kind of put this together. So this is the team that doesn't hit explosive plays on offense and you are one of the worst teams in the country turning the ball over. Yeah, that's not a recipe for upsetting the number one team in the country, even though they are coming to your house. You've got to do a better job of protecting the football, forcing turnovers, and hitting explosive plays if you want to have a snowball's chance in hell of beating the number one team in the country. So there are your four stats that matter, which is going to bring us to our three questions in this game. I've got a couple for you guys here. Number one, I'm going to go back to one of the guys I mentioned with our five players to know, wide receiver Dominic Lovett. He is the best player on this offense right now. I, honestly, there's zero question in my mind about that. It's pretty clear he is that guy for them. I have some questions here 
about this matchup. I mentioned earlier that there might just be one matchup that really could potentially favor Missouri in this game from a talent standpoint. And that one matchup involves Dominic Lovett from the slot against whoever's playing star for us. So my question here is, can we contain Dominic Lovett from the slot without Javon Bullard? No, I do not know for a fact that Javon Bullard is not playing in this game, but you guys know what happened there. He's got the DUI, a bunch of misdemeanors wrecked up against him. I think it's highly unlikely that he will play in this game at the very least. Now, Kirby, of course, when asked about it, is, is going to play secret squirrel with that. He's not going to let anything out. He said we were going to handle it internally. And he was actually pushed like, hey, like, what does that even mean? Like, what does handle it internally actually mean? And he gave a little bit more insight into it. He said, we have a process. So he's got to go in front of the athletic board, got to go in front of our AD, Josh Brooks, and there'll be a decision made there. So it's not as cut and dry as it once was with Mark Rick. You know, we used to have a policy where, all right, it's either, you know, first offense is this, second offense is this, for DUI it's this. He would have been out four games. But I don't know if that's going to be the case with Javon Bullard here right now. But I, I do feel it's certainly more likely than not that he will not be traveling and not be playing in those football games. So that's going to leave us at the very least with a second string guy. And it looks like it's going to be, if I had to guess, I don't know. Again, Kirby's not going to tell us. We'll find out when the game kicks off. Maybe we'll get some leaking out a little bit early, but it's probably going to be Tyke Smith. And Tyke Smith came into Athens with a lot of hype, you know, last year, obviously dealt with some injuries towards ACL, hurt his foot in fall camp, and he's still battling bad. Now, Kirby says he's probably, like, he can't really say exactly if he's 100% or not, but he's probably close to it. But just because you're 100%, you're 100% clear doesn't mean you're 100% 100% back to being your old self. And we just don't know what version of Tyke Smith that we're going to be operating with. At the very least, we know that he has not played a ton of football in the last calendar year. Like we know that the reps haven't really been there. He played a little bit so far this year, got a little, a little bit of action against Samford, but he's probably going to be the guy. And that concerns me when he's going to be matched up, this, this backup who's going to be matched up against Missouri's best receiver. There's no William Poole. If, if Tyke's struggling, there's no William Poole to plug in there because he, you know, he said deuces, I'm out last week. So we don't have him there. I mentioned Malachi Starks might be a guy that we could use because I thought that he's, I think he's a really good cover guy and he's got the size to fit against the run from that position, which is really important in playing the star. But I also told you guys, I, did, I was hesitant to think that we would actually do that because he's still trying to learn his position. I don't imagine we crossed him enough to cross train him enough to actually play the star. It actually, as Kirby said, might, might be more Chris Smith who might fit in that role if something happens with Tyke. But if something happens to Tyke, if he's not playing well, if he's getting if he gets injured again, like I don't know what that's gonna look like. Marcus Washington Jr. is a guy that I know has been working a little bit there at that position, but he's a true freshman. So that is a question for me in this game. We got to watch that matchup and find a way to contain Don McLovin because he operates from the slot, guys. I mean, they'll move him around a little bit. He primarily operates out of the slot. And that just so happens to be where we're going to be missing one of our starters that started every game for us to this point. So certainly got to watch that there. The second question here on my list is, can we avoid special teams disasters? And I know disaster is a strong word because We've had some special teams miscues the past couple of weeks, and we've been so dominant and so good that we have been able to avoid them turning into disasters. Because disaster, that that would kind of intimate that that cost you a game or put you in a really bad spot. And we've just been so much better than the teams that we've played, despite some of these special teams mistakes and miscues, that we've been perfectly fine. But the fact remains that we've had two fake punts, not one, but two fake punts in back-to-back weeks 
that have been converted against us. That cannot happen, guys. Like We can't do that kind of thing. We cannot muff punts. we got to get something out of our return game. We simply cannot have those kind of special teams disasters because if you're looking for the ingredients to a, 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 a upset for a home team trying to play the number one team in the country in their house, one of those ingredients is you've got to win the special teams phase of the game. You've got to make special teams plays and you've got to force turnovers against the, your opponent uh, when, when they're on their special teams units as well. So that's something you got to watch here. That is a place where Missouri can try to equalize this game because they cannot they cannot hang with us offensively and defensively in those two phases of the game. They're just simply not good enough. They do not have the talent to do that. They cannot do that unless we just give them the football game. But special teams, that could be an area of the game where they could find an advantage and potentially keep this game closer than probably what it should have been. Because think about last week, guys. I know we had the block punt. They gave us two points on the safety, but Ladd gave it three points there. Um, They had a conversion on a fourth down that led to a touchdown. We can't do those kind of things and give them free yards and set up scores. Simply cannot do that. And then the last question I have on this game. So I talked earlier about how I do think that Missouri has had a lot of, actually, I don't think, I know the stats tell you they have had a lot of trouble generating explosive plays offensively. And that's one of the reasons they've had a lot of trouble scoring points, especially against power five competition. But I'm looking at the flip side here. Can we, the Georgia Bulldogs, generate some explosive plays on our own, especially on the ground? It doesn't have to be on the ground. I don't, honestly, I don't really care. I just want explosive plays. But we, you know, for all the the love our offense has gotten through the first couple of weeks, and deservedly so, we haven't been, like, we've been very efficient, very effective, but we haven't been overly explosive. In fact, we were far more explosive last year. I, yes, it's still early, small sample size, but let me give you some numbers here. So here's why where, where I'm saying, like, we've been efficient, we've been effective. We're second in the SEC right now in plays of 10 or more yards. That's great. That's awesome. That's where you want to be, getting first downs. We're also fifth in the SEC in plays of 20 or more yards with 24. Solid, right? Like you're still top half of the league. But when we go to plays of 30 or more yards, and I know some people define explosive plays as plays of 20 or more yards, and I guess that that's fine. Depends on how you define it. But I typically look at plays of 30 or more yards as explosive plays. That's how I go about it. And then coaches do it differently. Different staffs define explosive plays differently. Me personally, I define explosive play as a play of 30 or more yards. We are only 12th in the SEC in plays of 30 or more yards. We only have six. We, in fact, only have one of those six plays of 30 or more yards coming on the ground, which was Brock Bauer's 25-yard touchdown run last week against Kent State. So if we can generate explosive plays in this game, we can put this team away pretty early. And if we can continue to keep them from generating explosive plays, it's going to be a mismatch. It is a mismatch from a talent perspective, but the score will show that as well, unlike it did against Kent State last week, though we dominated them in every like statistical category of the game. The scoreboard told you a different story. It said it was actually closer than it really was if you've watched the entire game. So we need to generate some explosive plays. And my question is, can we find a way to do that? We've been really effective, efficient, especially in plays of 10 or more yards, even 20 or more yards, but 30 or more, we haven't been hitting those plays consistently. Is this the week that we find a way to do it like we were doing last year? And guys, there is plenty more left to break down in this game. Before we move on, I want to remind you guys about our good friends at Alumni Hall. I will be in Columbia, Missouri this weekend to support the dogs. And this time of year in Columbia, if you've ever been there, you know there is a little crisp in the air. So I had to stop in at Alumni Hall this week to pick me up some cold weather gear, some fall weather gear. You know, we don't really have fall here in the the South much anymore. It was, what, 96 degrees last Thursday. 
But in the Midwest of Missouri, they're still fortunate enough to get fall. It still gets a little chilly. And so I had to stop in to pick up a couple cold weather things at Alumni Hall this weekend. I got a nice red Johnny O quarter zip. It's soft. It's flexible. And you guys know I have a problem. I really probably only needed one. And I honestly didn't even need that one, but I kind of just wanted one. And while I was there, it's like, God, man, like I see so many things I want. What did I get? I got myself another quarter zip. I got a gray one. So now I have every color you could possibly have when it comes to Georgia quarter zips because I love the fall. I wish we got more of the actual fall weather still these days. We don't, but hey, for these road trips, I am loaded up and I am ready to go. And you guys can be too. All you have to do is go to Alumni Hall and pick up your gear today because it is where the Bulldog shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, let's go ahead and close this thing out. We've got two more parts of this game to look at. I've got two game plans and one key to the game for you. And with our game plans, for those of you who are newer to the show and haven't taken in one of these preview episodes, I'm going to give you what I think our defensive and offensive game plan should be based off what I know about this Missouri team and also what we do well and what we don't do well. So let's start with our defensive game plan. In my opinion, I believe that we need to get aggressive on first and second downs in this game on what we call standard downs to create negative plays. I think that's going to be important in this game because if we can create negative plays and get Missouri off schedule, that is going to take them out of everything that they want to do offensively. Don't wait until third down to get crazy and get exotic. Do that on first and second down, on those standard downs. And that doesn't necessarily mean, when I say be aggressive, that does not necessarily mean bring more than four because because whoever it is at star might need some help over the top against Dominic Lovett out of the slot. So to be aggressive, we don't have to actually blitz. I know everyone, like when you see the simulated pressure, you see a bunch of guys run line and scrimmage, they, and the broadcaster just say, oh, well, Georgia's bringing the blitz. Well, not really. If we don't bring more than four, it's not technically a blitz. It's a pressure package, but it's not really a true blitz. To me, bringing a blitz is bringing more than four pass rushers. We don't necessarily have to do that. Last year, we were very, very effective at pressuring the quarterback with only four defenders. We didn't have to bring extra guys. We did it from time to time. You can't only do one thing. But we don't need to do that. I don't really want us to do that consistently in this game because I think that we can have some success creating havoc and pressuring them, creating negative plays with just a four-man rush. We just have to get creative in how we are doing that. But I think we need to be aggressive and try to get them behind the chains because Missouri is not a good third-down offense, especially when it comes to third and long because they're not an efficient passing team. They're 11th in the SEC right now in third-down conversions offensively, only converting 35% of them at this point. 
And look, I understand when you get aggressive, there's a, a certain level of risk that is inherent in that, that you might give up some explosive plays that you otherwise might not. But again, I go back to what I said at the outset with one of our four stats that matter. Missouri has not shown the ability to consistently generate those types of plays. They are dead last in the SEC in plays of 30 or more yards, which is what I define as an explosive play. So if they're going to hit those plays, you have to force them to do it because they haven't done it consistently all year. You've got to force them to do it. I always talk about making a team, making an offense play left-handed. That's what you want to do defensively. That's That's the whole point of your game plan. Figure out what they do well, figure out what they don't do well, Force them to do what they don't do well. Force them to beat you doing that. Force them to play left-handed. And in this case, Missouri playing left-handed means force them into third and long situations and force them to try to beat you by generating explosive plays offensively, especially through the air, because they have not been able to do that. Now, what is Missouri going to do to take advantage of us being more aggressive on standard downs? Well, they're going to go RPO heavy, and they're going to try to make us pay for that aggressiveness. So, to counteract that, what I would like to see us do from a coverage standpoint is to run a good bit of robber coverages. And there's a couple of different robber coverages that we want that we run. One that we really like is called is what we call one rat, and that's a defensive coverage where we like to we like to put the inside linebacker and outside linebacker, even a DB or some, maybe sometimes it's another linebacker. We put all three of those guys around the line of scrimmage. That's what we call a simulated pressure. We're simulating that all those guys are going to come, but they don't usually all come. And at the snap, one rushes, one's going to have the back and coverage, and one drops to rob the middle of the field as the quote-unquote rat, which is just another word for a robber. And to me, that's that's the most effective way to take away RPOs, that and running man coverage. Those are the two things that you do to take away RPOs, run tight man coverage, and you rob the middle of the field where they, where they like to throw a lot of those RPOs, those quick glance and slant routes. And if we run that and we're able to force them in the third long situations, I think Missouri's going to have a really hard time consistently moving the football. So that's the game plan I would take into this from a defensive standpoint. Offensively, Missouri's pretty average across the board defensively. They're not great. They're not bad. They're fine. They're okay. They are sixth in the SEC against the pass and also sixth in the SEC against the run. They're kind of right down the middle there. They're not that much better against the run. They're not that much better against the pass. They kind of, they're just average pretty much across the board. And when you watch them play, it kind of plays out that way with the eye test. And I know that we have been a very heavy pass team to this point. And you have to do what you do. At some point, like you don't change up your game plan and change up your identity that much from game to game. So you have to be who you are. But saying that, I think that we can have some success. I think this can be a game where we have some success running the football because Missouri's just not elite up front. Tyron Hopper is a really good inside linebacker. He's had a really good year for them. He's very active. He's mobile. He he, he can bring the lumber too when he, when he arrives with the ball carrier. But while he's very good, it looks like they're going to be down another starting linebacker, a guy named Chad Bailey, does not look like he's going to be playing for Missouri. So Hopper's great, but they're going to have a backup there next to him in the middle of that defense. And I I do, if you look at this Missouri team, I think the back end is their strength. I I know they're they're six against the pass and the run, but I think they have better players in the back end than they do up in that front seven with guys like Chris Abrams Drain, Ennis Rakestraw, who was a pretty big time recruit a couple years back. They got from Alabama actually late in that cycle, the first year that Eli Drinkwitz took that job. Martez Manuel has plays mainly star for them now, but he's played a lot of football, he's played safety, he's played star. I think they are better in the back end. So I think you want to attack them by running the football early and often in this game. Of course, we're going to throw the ball. We've got to get the ball to guys like Brock Bowers and Lab McConkey and, and obviously Kenny McIntosh in the passing game as well. But 
I don't know if I would get too pass happy in this game. I would come out trying to establish the run more than we have to this point in the season, stay ahead of the chains of the run game, the quick passing game, and then take shots on advantageous downs and distances throughout the game. Of course, Brock Bowers has to be heavily involved in any game plan that George is putting together on offense right now. This guy is a man amongst boys. He simply cannot be taken down by one man in the open field. He's a tough matchup for anybody. Linebackers can't cover him. Safeties can't cover him. Star defenders can't cover him. Corners can't cover him. This guy is one of the best football players in the entire country. and He's got to be a major part of every game plan, which you have seen the past two weeks. He has been a much bigger part of the game plan. And Todd Munkin does a great job. Everybody comes into a game wanting to take away Brock Bowers, talk about making a team play left-handed. They they want to force us to beat them through the air, and they want to take away Brock Bowers when we go to the air. But Todd Munkin has been so good the past two years in consistently scheming up ways, new ways that seems like every single week, to get Brock Bowers matched up in favorable matchups and, and oftentimes single coverage to where he can take advantage of those opportunities and make big play after big play. And honestly, I just don't really think that Missouri has anyone that can match up with him anyway. So you got to get him the ball, but I think we can run the football and I would open with trying to establish a run, keep us ahead of schedule, keep us ahead of the chains and take some play action shots off of that, hit some big chunk plays, and then hopefully, hopefully coast to a win in Columbia. And then finally, let's close things out with my one key to the game. And guys, I'm going to keep this one very, very simple for you. My one key to the game is can we consistently convert red zone opportunities into touchdowns? If we can do that, then we will put this game away probably pretty early, eliminate all hope, take them out of the game, take their souls, and cruise to a cover if we are able to score touchdowns once we get in the red zone. Right now, though, we're only 10th in the SEC in touchdown percentage inside the red zone. Now, it's it's we have some strange splits here. We are scoring touchdowns inside the red zone at a 92% rate against power five teams, against Oregon and South Carolina. Where we've really struggled is against Kent State and Samford. That gives me hope because, yeah, you guessed it, Missouri is a power five team. But just like Kent State last week, I think we're going to be able to move the ball. I don't want to say at will, but I think we're going to have a lot of success moving the football because we just have better players, we have better personnel, we have better coaching, and this is just a better football team. We'll be able to move the football. What we have to avoid is getting stuck in the red zone and being forced to kick field goals like we were far too often last week against Kent State. We were significantly better than Kent State, just like we are significantly better than Missouri. But the score looked closer than it should have been, largely. Now, there were some turnovers involved, obviously, but largely because we were not consistently scoring touchdowns in the red zone, at least not the rate that we were against Oregon and South Carolina, where we put those teams away. If you look at all the statistics, whether it's yardage margin, whether it's first downs, whatever stat you want to look at, we dominated Kent state statistically as much as we dominated Oregon as much as we dominated South Carolina the only place we didn't really dominate them as much is in the final score because of turnovers and because we were forced to kick too many field goals inside the red zone if we can score touchdowns in the red zone this week guys at a consistent rate just like we have against Oregon and South Carolina I just simply do not think that Missouri can hang with us I think we'll put this game away fairly early take away their hope and again like I said win this one very comfortably But all right, guys, that's all I've got for you today here on this Missouri preview episode. Hopefully this gets you guys ready for the game this weekend in Columbia, Missouri, one of the great college towns in the United States of America. But we are not done with our content for this week. Charlie will be back with me for our final episode of the week with our week five picks of the week. And it's redemption week, guys. Charlie and I have to make up for last week. We had 
a great first three weeks. We're hitting about 67% of our picks. Last week, not as good, but hey, I like the board this week, so make sure you tune into that because we got some more winners to hand out to you guys. But for now, I'm out of here. Thank you guys for being here. Appreciate it. But as always, go dogs. <laughs>